Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Mariana and Elizabeth. Hi. Hey, I I feel like I should say Mariana and Pack. <laughs> and Pack, because you got the rest of them. Yeah. So um, we're on this new schedule, right? So the kid wasn't sleeping through the night. He was waking up like four to five times, which is a little excessive for a six-month-old. You know, that's kind <laughs> of newborn status. And so I was at my sister-in-law. She has three boys. And so I was talking to her about, oh, my gosh, I can't figure this out. Uh, you know, and then the big debate about cry it out comes in and all right. this stuff. And I was like, I just feel like he's still hungry. And we had started solid foods. And then she was like, well, how much milk is he getting? Because I'm still nursing him. And she and I thought it up and I was like, oh, well, I'm feeding him seven to eight times a day. She's like, and solid foods? I was like, yes. She And then she, ex- you know, she explained, yeah, so when you start solids, you're not supposed to feed them right after the solids, mm. right? Because the solid foods is supposed to hold them over. So basically, I was giving him a full diet of milk as well as a full diet of solids. So he wasn't really eating when he was eating. He was just, you know, washing it down, basically. <laughs> yeah. So when we got to so the So it's night, just going straight through him. Right. It, he was just drinking it like water or, you know, just something to wet right. his palate. So <laughs> Then during the night, he would be super hungry because he hadn't gotten the milk he needed. Oh. Yep. So, oh, so new schedule, right? Memorial yeah. Day, I decided new schedule. We've got times and I w- and then I texted you and I was like, this is perfect. It's going to fall during his morning nap, which he's taking <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and not today. So four days of napping straight in a row, you plan, you know, a meeting or some kind of work. And then they're like, ha ha, just kidding. Oh, my. Yeah. He's like, hey, I hear you've got something going on. And I today. would like to be a part of it. How about it, Mom? Right. How about it? Well, I'm I'm very flattered, Ben, that you want to hang out with me. Yes, I think he is working on his marketing scheme for a trip to San Fran. <laughs> Sounds good to me. To see you. But actually, you know, sometimes in the middle of a nap, he kind of wakes up just a little bit. And that's when we let him you know, cry for a little bit and see if he can settle himself back down. But what happened today is that he started crying, and then Willie went to check on him. Mm-hmm. Because he's a good dog, and he said... He's a nanny dog, right? He's he said, a nanny guys, dog. yeah. Aw. Which we really appreciate, but, you know, not when he wakes him up. Part of having more than one kid, you know, having four-legged kids and two-legged kids, everybody working together. So it was hilarious this morning after breakfast. He and Willie were both staring down this dog toy, (laughs) trying to decide who was going to get to play with it. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So we're getting to a fun age where he recognizes and interacts with the pups, and the pups recognize and interact with him, too. Oh, that's good. But it's good. We're getting more sleep. So a morning show is not as difficult anymore. <laughs> you don't feel like you're death warmed over when you get up to talk or, to me. Or slowly going crazy. I, I really, well, for a little while, there felt like I was slowly going crazy. But, you know, that's like anybody. If you go a certain number of nights and you don't really sleep sleep, 
it used to happen to me even before we had kids. If I had something major coming up or a project I was working on, you know, you start to feel a little loopy. Yes. Yes. Weird things start to seem like they're good ideas. And then you're (laughs) like, oh, that was not a good idea. Which now I'm wondering, I signed up for a 5K tomorrow morning. Oh, yes. You know, last week during in the midst of all this. So I'm wondering (laughs) if that was a good idea or not. Oh, please. It'll be a great idea. Yeah, at least it wasn't like the time I signed up for the 10K three days before and hadn't run more than two and a half miles. At least it's not that. At least it's not that. I've been running 5Ks and it's in a neighborhood I run in, so I feel like it'll be fine. Yeah, you're going to have a great time. Three miles is nothing. Yeah, so are you impressed? I actually have a race to share with you. That's awesome. Woohoo! How long has it been I, since I've run one? A long time. Yeah. I, I, my next plan, I think, is to kind of get through the summer because it's busy for me and then start training, like serious training for a marathon in the fall and run one in April of next year. So Run a half marathon or a long race? A full, a full a marathon. A full marathon. Oh, my gosh. With hills and everything, which means that I'm going to have to start driving to Berkeley to train because there are no hills in Davis. It is completely flat. Or you could go into so. San Fran. There are hills all over the place there. Yeah. Well, Berkeley is closer than San Fran. Like, you you pass it on your way there. So I'll just stop in Berkeley because I have a friend that lives there and we can run together. Right. But if you're going to be training for a marathon, what is that? Like four hours, five hours? You know, you might enjoy being in San Francisco for that long when you're it's training. True. It's true. Oh, it's that's true. That's a long time. Yeah. I'm excited. I think when, it'll be good. The I, other thing. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I, well, I was going to say that one of the things that I think right now is making me think that, like, I mean, so it's going to be one thing to, like, put my, one foot in front of the other, um, you know, for four hours or whatever. Um, but, like, Uh, the thing that makes me think that like mentally, if physically I can get prepared mentally, I can probably still do it. Um, is that like recently I've been listening to podcasts and like eBooks while I run and those are longer than like four. you can, I can build up like a nice long playlist that lasts me more than four hours if I need to. So like to keep my mind engaged in something so that I'm not just like, staring at the ground going, oh, God, this hurts, right? So, like, I don't know. I have I have plans. I think I, think I can do it. So yeah. I want to, I wanna, like, I want to ask myself to do that. It's a, it's a goal. So. so, yeah, so you can save one of the books that you're really looking forward to, you know, hearing exactly. on Audible or something and kind of bribe yourself into it. Exactly. Yeah, this was one of the tenets of when I ran my first half marathon, those long runs, those 10 to 11 mile runs, that's what we started to do. We started to listen to podcasts. I I think, I don't know what it was, but maybe when you pass, for me, five or six miles, just having a music playlist isn't enough. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I guess you have to distract your mind even more than a a short song. Yeah, yeah. The brain kind of disengages and you're like, why? (laughs) <laughs> and exactly. so like I'm like okay so then you know like I moved on to like I listened to podcasts um just you know various different things and actually it's funny because sometimes when you know like I, when I have started running and even now like I run with my friends 
Leslie and Lauren and they're super awesome. Um, and, but sometimes I'll be like running with them and be like, God, why am I not running by myself and listening to my podcast? Cause you know, maybe I'm just like tired and don't feel like talking to people, but I still want my brain engaged. Um, so it's kind of funny cause I'm like, Oh, my poor, my poor real life friends <laughs> are like right here. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just want to listen to my podcast. Um, but I did that with, uh, when I was listening to um, Kristen Bell read the Veronica Mars novel. Um, oh, she reads it? So, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, there's more than one, too, now. And so, like, it's that was what made that super cool was the um, was her listening to her read it. I was like, oh, it feels like I'm, like, right back in the TV show. So, yeah, it's totally worth it. Absolutely. So what are some of the podcasts that you listen to while you run? Um, well, there's three go-to podcasts that I have, and one of them is, um, Book Riot, which, by the way, like, Book Riot is an interesting podcast sometimes, and sometimes Jeff and Rebecca really annoy me, like, really, 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 and frustrate me because their opinions just seem weirdly obtuse to me, and so I'm, like, yelling at them as I'm, like, running, and I'm sure that people around me are like, what is wrong with you? But just, I feel like some of their, their, uh... Because they talk about um, the book industry and um, stuff like that. Um, and it's it's just, you know, uh, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like sometimes they, they, like, pick an angle just to have, like, something to argue about. They don't really... Um, they don't really think their argument through all the way and it frustrates me, but that's good because that gives me a little extra boost and you, I get a little like brighter green spot in those areas, um, on my running app because I run faster cause I'm mad. Um, so, so book riot. And then I listen to, <laughs> if you need a good know, speed right? workout, <laughs> just maybe I should listen to Rush Limbaugh or something like that. Um, <laughs> just yeah, I could really give you some religious me ones. Um, um, I also listen to um, to helping writers become authors um, to KM Wyland, um, her podcast, um, and then also to writing excuses. Um, I went back because like a year ago they started doing this masterclass type arc with their podcasts, um, and so I went back to the beginning of last year and kind of was working my way through those. Um, a step at a time, just like listening to the arc of the the episodes and how they talked about different aspects of writing. Um, so that was really interesting too. And we should mention that Elizabeth, uh, we we hear tell Elizabeth Gilbert is going to start back Big Magic. Yeah, she posted about that on Instagram. I was like, yes, she's we've been back begging for it. <laughs> So, Is she, do you did she say whether she's going to do the same format where she um, interviews? No, I mean, all she did was post that picture that I sent you. Oh, that's it. That's all we have. Just a teaser. That's all I saw. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So we will see. Gosh, if she just did a podcast of the responses that she's gotten from Big Magic or what it's encouraged people to do, that would be worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I sure it would. I wonder we'll if she's going to keep the same format, too, where it's only, what, 10, 15 minutes, something like that? Real short. That's what 
lots of podcasts are real short like that. Like writing excuses is 20 minutes. I feel like that's the same with uh, helping writers become authors is also 20 minutes. Book Riot is usually over an hour. Yeah. Okay. I need to check out those other ones. I've listened to writing excuses before, but it's been a while. I don't know why it's not um, in. Oh, so I should mention when I am listening to podcasts, I use the app Overcast. Hmm. What do you use? I just use the um, Apple podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was easy. But yeah. I'll have to look into Overcast. The Overcast is really good. It saves your spot. If you are. Um, so if. OK, so three things about Overcast. Number one, it saves your spot. So if you have to take a call, it comes back on. But also, I had problems with the Apple podcast of it wouldn't, if you, like, okay, I'm listening on the way to the grocery store. I go into the grocery store. If I start it back again, it doesn't, it starts all over. It wouldn't hold your spot. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I haven't had that problem. But that doesn't mean that you weren't having that problem. It just could be some weird glitch. Mm-hmm. Or something I was doing wrong. The other thing, oh, I know the other thing is that. You overcast automatically downloads every time. So you don't have to remember to download before you get in the car. Mm. Which yeah, is a that's... big deal for me. I don't know. That's probably um, something where I just like have the luxury of not having to worry about that because I don't have a kid that I have to put in the car as well. Yeah. So my brain doesn't go out that direction well and if you're preparing to go for a run you know you kind of go through these things but i find myself right. in the car longer than i expect and thinking, uh-huh. oh gosh i want to catch up on this podcast and then being like oh it didn't download i'm not going to stream it and use my data you know yeah so that's why overcast is really good because i don't have to think about it in the background uh-huh it also automatically deletes you can set it up to automatically to delete once you've listened to it Right. Or to Which only keep the Apple has that now too. Um, yeah. See, I feel like Apple Podcasts now that there are these uh, independent podcast apps has kind of adapted some of the things. So it's probably way better than when I was using it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty nice. I find so. Um. And, and yeah, it just you know is convenient because it's there. But yeah. Um. And I don't guess. I think I sync it to my computer, too, because, I mean, I my computer is not an Apple computer, so they're not, like, automatically talking to each other. But anyways, um, well, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, oh, so in the Book Riot podcast that I was listening to um, this last run that I had two days ago, um, they were talking about – they were talking about self-publishing – um, and reasons that people self-publish. And then they, um, they started talking about how podcasting is a type of self-publishing. Um, unless you're like going through NPR or something like that, then you're not technically self-publishing. But like we, what we do right now is we self-publish a radio show. Well, kind of, but we have a publisher who actually does our post-production who markets and Well, promotes. but he's part of your, like he's part of us. I mean, and technically, even self-publishers also have post-production, you know, for books. You know, if you yeah. do it. If you do it right, yes. Exactly. If you do it right, 
then, you know, you, you get somebody to market, you get somebody to like do all these different aspects. So, um, so yeah, we're deep in the throes of self-publishing. Yes, but I think I think that's something that is interesting to talk about because serial, I think, really demonstrates how this can be a kind of audible experience, you know, where you're telling a story, but you're dividing it up into parts and you're doing it only via audio. Now, serial won all kinds of, you know what I'm talking about, serial, the NPR yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, okay. I didn't listen to it, but um, but yeah. So, but I, um, before you continue, um, I, I want to say that a little tiny bit, I object to, um, things that are produced by NPR as podcasts. I object to them being called that. Right. Because, because they're radio (laughs) and just because you can get it on the internet doesn't make it a podcast. It just makes it like a radio show that you can get on the internet, but well, and this was a big discussion with Serial among people who podcast like we podcast is no mm-hmm. Serial is produced and it's a story told in certain parts. Like it's very meticulous, planned out and right. was meant to be revealed in the certain number of episodes. You know, this is right. not a podcast. This is an audible book or a storytelling or exactly like you're saying, a radio experience. Right. And then a lot of people are objecting too because Serial is not a, a self-publishing podcast because they have a whole network behind them. But right. they, they swept all of the awards in the podcasting field. And yeah. there was pushback from that. Like, no, what you're doing in the NPR network studio is not the same as what I'm doing here with my kid in the background rolling around and uh-huh. my dogs you know, who might bark. It's a different kind of experience. So those who are kind of podcast purists <laughs> object to Serial getting the amount of attention that they did in this realm. Right. Yeah. Which is, I, I think is what you're saying, too. Yeah, I definitely. That's what I'm saying. Um, and And I'm not saying that it's not a good show. I'm sure it's a great show. I just don't feel like it qualifies. But... It doesn't mean that everybody that podcasts has to do this long rambling conversation like we do either. Although, although that's what Book Riot does as well. They have like kind of that whole like news bullets that they want to discuss and then like they just kind of let it go where it goes. Um, So, so. Yeah. So I think this is an interesting idea of the self-publishing because it is self-publishing in a certain sense. But for me, podcasting has so much potential for authors who want to publish very purposefully their stories and their writing in the kind of serial format. So I think this Mm -hmm. is a field that's going to open up that's not audible, which is reading a book that's in print, but that is a separate content and a separate experience, almost like the... Well, what would you call um, the story, the short story that you produced? If you put that into an ebook format and you sold it for 99 cents or something like that, would you call that a teaser, a fan fiction? What would you call that? Well, it's not a fan fiction, obviously. Because right, because you're the author. Right. So, so It's my story. Well, and it's, so. it's like the story of the add-on story of, of four that turned into this full-length book by Veronica Roth. 
Right. What she discovered is that people were still interested in more stories of different characters' perspectives. So you can go and you can do a full out, you know, manuscript of that, a full book of that. Or you can release these kind of short, they're not fan fiction, but what it was it called when it's by the same author, but it, it's short. And it's a... And not a novella. Yeah, and it's a character profile or a character, an in-depth, I don't know. I don't know, something it's, like that. Is there Maybe. a word for it? There might not be. But, I, but. I, I'm finding that more and more authors are considering this as part of their marketing plan or part yeah. of an expansion of a story. No, I don't have enough material to publish a whole story, but I do have enough material to publish this character profile or this character something else. Yep. Um, I So the thing... Two though that you have to consider, and it's funny because I, I feel like there were a couple a couple months ago Gabriella did a um, an interview with somebody who was posting like who was publishing a novel in serial format, um, and she was like, "This is like brand new," and I'm like, "Actually, it's not technically brand new. Maybe in the traditional publishing sense it was, but um, in um, in indie publishing, like serial has been going on for a while." Um, the idea of serial and so like people should consider that too when you're thinking about what format your book goes in and how long your story is and what it entails but like um, I know authors super awesome prolific authors that they write their stories um, and like release every two weeks or every four weeks or whatever they release a new portion of it and it's usually only like 2,000 to to maybe 3,000 words um, uh, sometimes like 10,000 words, I guess. Um, they, they like really, but they release it in sections. So like they have people who subscribe to right, their right. story and then it comes out in like parts. And so you subscribe for a certain amount of money and you get, you know, all the things and then, or if you want to wait until the whole thing has been released and the story arc is complete, then you can like buy the whole giant volume altogether, and it's like you know 12, 12 episodes or whatever they call it. Um, but so it's that same kind of idea of like you know car- you you're carrying your audience along with you as you develop the story. But that's through so, print. We haven't really seen this. Oh in no, the no, audience. they. Do, oh yeah, I guess you're right. But I mean, they do it. They do it online, and then like they also have you know. They have audiobook versions of it. So it's almost the same thing. Yeah. Well, and I think I think with the Netflix original series kind of idea, I think we're gonna see more of this in an audible an audio format. And so you have, you know, something like serial that's a whole story, but it's released all at once, but it's different episodes. But you can binge listen just like you can binge watch right. on Netflix. And I think that's something that authors haven't taken advantage of. And you know, you know, the big discussion was ebooks about you know whether they were going to ruin the print industry, and we still have this discussion. I don't think that's where the future of publishing is. You know, we've kind of existed in this ebook and print world for quite a while, and both have been sustainable. But I yeah. think this audio kind of experience of storytelling and getting back to you know sitting on the porch as the summer sun sets. And telling stories like you did 
you know, on the on the plantation, on the farmhouse, wh- wherever you were, I think we're going to get back to that storytelling kind of culture mm-hmm. in some way. And I think podcasting really could be where that comes to fruition. I'd like to see it. But there's, you know, there's something our culture and our stories have been told orally for so long. And that's something that we haven't capitalized on in a long time, <laughs> you know, in some mm-hmm. way and in some format, because we've become kind of these isolated islands in our brick and mortar houses or drywall houses that the communal event of storytelling is, well, especially in South Carolina, in South Carolina and also in Western North Carolina, there's, there's an attempt for this to be uh, resurrected in some way that there's storytelling festivals and all these kinds of things that, remind us of how in this part of the country i can talk to this part of the country i don't know how it works in other parts of the country i'm sure they're storytelling you know histories in other parts of the country too but getting back to that and we always call it port setting port setting uh-huh. storytelling well one interesting thing in that regard too is i mean i feel like kind of the the storytellers the bards they went under the radar for a while um as you know, print and whatever has just kind of been such a a big smash hit, but they've still been like hiding and around. Um, I, I'm thinking of um, Renaissance festivals like across the country. You know, there's people who practice that craft of storytelling um, that go and participate in these Ren festivals and like draw their draw their crowds there and, and tell their stories there. Um, so they're not, they're not always telling, you know, somebody else's stories, they're creating their own and like doing their own thing like that. So, um, it'll be nice to see them develop platforms and come into the, the modern age. Well, yeah, and this renaissance. Is, absolutely. This is something, first of all, that appears on Gilmore Girls, so we should give a shout out to that. But uh-huh. also something that happens in schools, at least in the Southeast, I can talk to that, is that you invite a storyteller to come and to visit with the, um, you know, do a program of sorts. Uh-huh. And then the storyteller has a certain number of stories that he or she tells, but also invites the you know, whoever's there, whether it's the whole elementary school or the grade, into the storytelling experience and off asks for suggestions. All right, let's write a story together. Let's do one right now. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, it's very mm-hmm. interesting because I came from a storytelling family. And so I would use storytelling a lot of times in my classroom as the um, the little mini lesson before we had our writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, because some, something happens with kids, and I think it often happens with writers, too, is that you have a story and people say, gosh, that's a really good story. You should write this story down. And something uh-huh. happens between the telling of the story and the writing of the story that we get bogged down. And it is a different experience. You know, you want to use conventional English. You want to watch your grammar and, and those kinds of things. But you lose the voice of the storyteller in writing a lot of times. And, you know, part of my work as uh, editor and publisher is to help hone that voice because that's what people want to read. People want to read as if they're hearing a story from somebody. Yeah, so um, I'm having that a problem actually with um, my current ghostwriting client in that he has an engaging voice, 
Um, so when you're like sitting and talking to him, he's he's engaging, but but the content of his stories is not actually engaging. So like I'm going through and listening to his um, to the audio so that I can transcribe stuff and then like help him develop his um, his memoir. And the more I listen, the more I'm like, he'll say, you know, and that was really interesting. And then you're like, actually, that wasn't interesting at all. But. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's definitely a there's a disconnect and and voice is part of the magic. And so I'm at least trying to um, translate the voice onto the page. But I can't I can't do anything about the subject matter because <laughs> that's just what's there. So <laughs> Well, and it's, it's something, you know, I don't remember if this was on the show, but a couple of weeks ago, Sam was telling us that we needed to get closer to our mics because it sounded better. Uh-huh. And, you know, occasionally, oh, oh, what he, his listeners, when the listeners of Thinking Religion always say that he says, oh, yeah, he always says things are interesting. And so you'll uh-huh. hear him sometimes if you listen to Thinking Religion say, oh, man, that is interesting. I mean, it's not interesting because I don't say that word because I say that word too often. So it's fantastic. <laughs> it's intriguing. It's engaging. Because Something we, else. Right, because we get into these conversational repetitive phrases just like we do when we're writing and that's right that's something that i highlight as i'm working with authors too okay everybody has repetition that they that's kind of their go-to in conversation Uh and speech but also in writing i'm gonna highlight that and you decide which ones are needed and which ones aren't needed right which ones are your voice and which ones are just but i'm gonna highlight it and say this is repetition this is repetition Uh uh-huh and that's, yep, I do I, that a lot too. Well, that's part of finding your voice as a writer is knowing what your, you know, if you want to use the poker ter- term, knowing what your tells are. Right. And so that you can compensate for those. Everybody has them. But you can, it's true. Yeah, you can get yourself worked up about them or you can understand that you – just well, but go back so and edit that's, it, you know, that's where the, the beauty of uh, writing comes in is that you can edit. And so you can like edit your voice to make it be more varied um, where like when you're podcasting and especially if you're doing something off the cuff like we do. Um, what are there you are talking about? That, we are not pantsers. Um, we're planners. We, we have everything organized. And surely there's things that we say that we say a lot um, and different freight turns of phrase that we use a lot. I know Gabriella has, um, she uses at the end of the day a lot. She says at the end of the day, at the end of the day. And you're like, okay, you said that again. Um, so, and I mean, we've discussed that. So Gabriella should not feel offended that I just outed her on that. But if you listen to her podcast, um, DIY MFA radio, um, then you'll hear, you'll hear her say that occasionally. Um, so, so yeah, so there's like that ability in writing to be able to um, to edit yourself so that you're not as repetitive and it, it makes it tighter, it makes it more um, uh, focused, your writing, and a little less distracting um, for people. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. And, and But writers can get a little obsessive over it sometimes too and to where that – they uh, edit their entire voice out of something. 
Right. So this is interesting because I think if the self-publishing is going to come to podcasting, I think there's going to be a refinement where you actually do some manuscript work before you actually publish. I'm using my air quotes. You can't see them. But publish that (laughs) that story, right? So you are working on the cadence and you're working on intentional repetition because all of us love repetition, you know. Ben, part of Ben will tell you story that a story. Right. So going kind of bridging into the next subject that we want to talk about, that's one of the things about piracy that you know, I used to get very worked up about it, about my my ideas, my con my creative content being stolen in some way. And I think it's something that as a writer you have to be concerned about. Actually it's one of the things that I do as Harrelson Press. I-, I work with people who are writers who want to become authors to say, okay, when you publish that big blog post on Facebook, that's not your content because you're using a medium that you're not paying for and Facebook is you're using Facebook for free. So mm-hmm. you, that's not your content because you're not paying the hosting fees. You're not doing all this. Now, if you put it on your own blog with your own domain, you purchase those things and then you post that to Facebook, that is your content. Mm-hmm. And you actually have a case against piracy of some sort. But if you release it out for free to the world on Facebook, so, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not you're not putting in any protection for yourself or your creative content. And so I help authors think about, okay, not don't only have a blog, but have a blog with a custom domain so that you can copyright that and that you actually have a case if you need to have a case uh, against creative content. Right. So one of the things that I don't necessarily worry about is that I'm developing my voice. My readers understand my voice. And if a whole section of my blog gets taken and put in somebody else's, or for instance, if one of my sermons gets picked up and repeated, first of all, it's going to have my stories in it that are my reflections on life because I'm, I do a lot of storytelling as I preach. Second of all, People are pretty good lie detectors, and so they're able to detect when you're using a voice that isn't your voice. Mm-hmm. And that I know that's putting a lot of confidence into the greater humanity, but that's that's kind of how I adjust and deal with it. Mm. So one of the the aspects I want to talk about it though is for people who um, who publish. And I should also, I think, probably interview some of the larger publishers to ask this question as well. Um, but, like, um, there are people that I know um, who have self-published um, who they wake up one morning and find that their entire book that they have put up for sale on Amazon has been copied and pasted onto a site that where people can download it. Um, for free <laughs> instead of paying for it. And so that's also, that's the other kind of piracy that I'm talking about here oh. where it's not just somebody taking your ideas, but they're just taking your whole book and saying, Hey, look, here's, um, it, it's my client, Nellie. Um, it's happened to her more than once. She's done a blog series that I linked to in the show notes for you. Um, um, and written, I think a magazine article as well, talking about, um, how piracy hurts, self-published authors especially badly um so but can yeah, i ask so, you a couple more questions to kind of get the context so they're they're sure. taking so they buy her book no not necessarily 
Okay, so how do they get the whole content if it's for sale on Amazon? I'm honestly not sure. But where. anyway, okay, so they get the content of her book, then they publish it on their own website? Yeah, there are websites that I don't know if I necessarily want to link to, but no, that no. you could like search and you could go find the entire content of a lot of different books. Um, not so just hers. Are they saying that it's this book by her or are they saying yes. it's their yes. own work? No. They're they're saying this is this book by like Creature by Nellie Cab. Um But they but people don't have to pay for it. Right. So basically they're doing the Chuck Wendig thing but without her permission and without their own creative content. <laughs> they're just releasing. Right. So this is interesting because this has happened uh, multiple times in the world of academia, and Thomas can speak more fully to this, but where people publish, I mean, release uh, documents that are only available through those portals that you get if you have a university. Right. You know, scar- scholarly articles and, and dissertations and these kinds of things. Um and there was a court case over it. I'll have to look it up and link it into our show notes. Our show notes today are at Thinking Out Loud 114. And, you know, was that person was held liable in uh-huh. court for releasing that information that wasn't his to release. Yeah, and the thing is that it sometimes um, it can be really hard to track those people down. Like Nellie... Nellie kind of had a vendetta, and so she's gone after a couple of them and actually billed them for the the number of downloads that there were of the book, you know, and said, hey, this is how much money you owe me for all these free downloads that you gave away. Um, and did they? how did they respond? Did, uh, did I don't remember. That? I think she does talk about it. Um, I don't remember what the – oh, there's the outcome – um, but the thing is that you have you have to be like really really persistent. You do, and you have to you know there there are people in the world who believe that all things that are written should be free, and that you shouldn't have to pay it because this is what the internet was created to do was to give us free information, and so they are going to work to do that in any way they can. However, those of us who are writers or authors who are, you know, trying to pay for diapers or dog food or 5Ks or half mar- uh, you know, these things that are livelihood, you know, that, that's a delicate balance of when do you say, well, at least people are reading my work and at least this person hasn't claimed it as his own or her mm-hmm. own, but has put my name to it so people know about it. And when do you go after them and see, right. you know, if something can come up, come of it? Now, if you have your copyright in place, if you have your ISBN and all that things, you do have a case for, right. you know, legal action if you want to go that that far. Right. Yeah. So because it is theft. Um, absolutely, it's creative content, and it is absolutely theft. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of figuring out how to convince the people that are taking it that that's what it is so well and this is i mean i have i i publish my sermons online audio you know through an audio link so if you know my idea is if someone takes the time to sit down and transcribe it more power to them (laughs) right i can't and there has to be a sense that once you release it you release it into the world 
But it's an interesting thing, too, because what hasn't happened in the ebook world is what happens in the printed world, in that I might buy a book and then I pass it on to you. Right. You haven't had to buy that book. That author's not getting the royalties from how many reads that book gets. And that's okay in the printed world for us to share books. And nobody's tracking that. But in the digital world, sharing a copy of a digital file is something that we haven't regulated or figured out, okay, well, how many shares is okay to have? Right. Well, because, like, there's that whole idea of, like, sharing a digital file can be infinite as opposed to, like, sharing a physical copy of a book. But it could be. I mean, it could go on and on and on from generation to generation, technically. Yes, yes, and it does. But I think after a certain amount of generations, then it doesn't matter. Because it holds up. And that's the thing with the digital file that we haven't figured out is that, you know, it doesn't, the file doesn't change or (laughs) spine break or those kinds of things where people are like, oh, maybe I'm going to get a new copy of this. But this is something that Kindle was trying to figure out, too, because they got a lot of um, pushback from families who wanted to share a book and said, well, this is my husband. Really? You're going to make me, our household, buy two copies. Why would why would we buy the ebook then? Why wouldn't we just buy the printed book? Right. So there is... Especially when they're going to charge you the same amount for it. Right. So there is some sharing capabilities now on ebooks and... You know, loaning ebooks for a certain number of what is it weeks at the library that you can do it? Yeah, something yeah. like that. So, so we're. I think this is an important discussion to have because we're still trying to figure out how that works in the yes. digital realm, and what's theft and what's borrowing, and you know what's beneficial to you as a self-publishing author when somebody gets content for free, and what's impeding your future. <laughs> well, ability to pay I the bills. Seriously, think that like if you are passing your book from one friend to another, um, or passing a book from one friend to another, that that is that is not the same thing as taking somebody's book and posting it onto a website for any stranger who happens to come by that website to find it and download it. Absolutely, and this is why in the discussion of copyright law it's you can only copy a certain number of pages in sequence before it's copyright infringement right right and there are certain stipulations for doing this in an educational setting that are allowed that aren't allowed in the private sector Mm -hmm. you know but we haven't the laws haven't caught up to the digital equivalent of this right so it's going to be interesting and i think this is something that more self-published authors or people who this has happened to need to be writing about and talking about. Yeah, which is why, like, when Nellie had the opportunity to write her magazine article about it, I was like, girl, you need to say something because we need advocates out there talking about this. Exactly. And we need to know, those of us who are considering self-publishing need to know, okay, not only am I going to have to market, not only am I going to have to pay for a book cover and a freelance editor, but I'm also going to have to be on the on the lookout for pirates. Well, and honestly, it's not just self-publishers, right? Like, but right. the and difference it, is I that mean, it hurts people who are too. self-publishing worse, right? Because, like, you know, the, the, 
the smaller person, you know, the little people in publishing, they're the ones that get the most affected by it because, you know, if you're a best-selling author, how much does it really hurt you if your book is like pirated out there on a site somewhere? Um, but if it's, I don't know. Well, and it probably just, is if you're a best-selling author or if it, if your book is being used in schools, you can guarantee that you're going to lose some book sales for the Sparknotes sales, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, this is an ongoing discussion in the world of publishing. But, you know, that this, the, the copying of a whole text and putting it on a website, I think would be the equivalent of going to a UPS store and, you know, copying a whole book and then giving that to somebody or asking money for it even. Yep. But it it is something that, you know, people don't often think about. And uh, so this is her whole experiences in our show notes. She has four different blog posts and you should read it because it does. I, I was looking at one of them. I can't remember, but it tells how she found out about it too. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is important. I think. Yes. It's very important. Hey, Ben (laughs) is asking you, hey, Elizabeth, what are you reading? Besides really Um, cool blog posts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am kind of right now back on to Steal the Sky by Megan O'Keefe. I kind of, I bounce around. I don't know if that's been apparent or not, but I'm not finished with anything yet. (laughs) I'm just kind of like in the middle of a bunch of things. So right now I'm reading Steal the Sky um, when I need to just like chill and not uh, think about editing. And then I'm reading some cool books for um, for clients right now, too. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> Did you want to say what you're reading? <laughs> what is Ben reading? What are, are you reading some Sandra Boyton? Some Barnyard Dance? A little good night moon. Well, actually, I don't think we've ever read that one. We've read the <gasps> Going to Bed book. We've Aww. read. Um, what else have we read? What else? What do you think? Oh, do you want to tell her what we're reading with your sister? We're reading. <laughs> we just finished Beverly Cleary's uh, Muggy Maggie. I don't know if you've read that one, but it's the story of Maggie who's learning cursive in third grade, and our girls are just getting interested in cursive. And so I would read the, I mean, Mary Hudson could read this by herself, but (laughs) I would read the parts and she would try to read the cursive. So it's a really actually fun, cute book. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I never thought that our kids would even know what cursive was. And here they are (laughs) interested in knowing it still, you know, like it's a secret language. Nice. And then I just finished the one and only Ivan, which is a Newberry Metal book. And oh it, yeah, oh it's it's really good. It's really good. Did you ever read Water for Elephants that talks about the circus? No, I think we talked about this. Last oh, do we? Week. Are we repeating? Mm-hmm. Sorry, a little bit. So I just finished that book, and it's <laughs> definitely highly recommend that one. And then I'm reading Thunderstruck by Eric Larson. I'm on my Eric Larson kick again. Ah, I see. You go back to that a lot. Yes, but yes, <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. because he, he, you know, he's written all of these stories of historical events, combining <laughs> letters. <laughs> what you don't like that book? You like the gorilla book? Yeah. So he combines all of these 
newspapers, personal letters into a narrative that tells the story from multiple perspectives, which is pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah, so tell Elizabeth, what. where could we talk about more? More about publishing and piracy? Yeah, you can find me on the web at www.writingrefinery.com or at www.elizabethkaufman.com. Because she did it. She did the author thing that I was talking about that I was encouraging her about and and owned her own content by... Oh, 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 and oh my gosh, I should have mentioned this maybe at the beginning of the podcast, I don't know, but um, the anthologies are published, so you can now buy my story online. Yes. So Okay, send us a link to that because we definitely want (laughs) to do do that. that Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and, and I don't think it's mentioned on Amazon or whatever, but, um, all the proceeds from the book sales are going to a charity, um, a book charity in South Africa from another author who's a contributing author that we know. So anyways, boom. So yay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're definitely going to link that down in the show notes. (laughs) Um, and and so yeah, you can find you can find me at elizabethkaufman.com because that's my author site. Um, you can find me on Facebook and on Pinterest and Goodreads and uh, Tumblr and Twitter um, at Writing Refinery. Um, and come talk to me about if you have stuff you want to uh, work on your writing or if you have. Um, publishing industry questions, um, anything like that. I'm happy to talk things through with you. So, bless you. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk to me about publishing or this idea of audio publishing, which I'm extremely interested in, and have this is interesting that you brought this up today because I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, so we might have some. Yeah, keep following. Thinking out loud because we're going to keep talking yes. about this. Then you can uh, follow me at HarrelsonPress.com, at Harrelson Press on Twitter, and Harrelson Press on Facebook. You can also see what I'm up to and what I'm writing on Mariana.net. Yay. And until next time, keep writing. Keep talking. Keep talking. That's a good one. Can you say bye-bye, Ben? Say bye-bye. <laughs> he only says hey. <laughs> So until next time, hey.